Just a, a couple of things. Um, July 10th, uh, we are having an event here uh, at the church. And uh, basically, we will have uh, a thing called Feed the Need. And this will be an event just after the service. And we will have um, uh, uh, bounce houses out here. Um, we will have uh, food trucks out in this area. Um, God willing, a band when we get that lined up. Um, we'll, we'll have uh, quite a few different things that'll be, that'll be here. And so we want you to invite friends. Uh, we've talked to Cascade Door um, next door. And uh, they, that was kind of an awkward sentence, but um, Cascade Door next door. And they, uh, they are going to sponsor this event and be a part of it. We're going to be promoting it in the city. And uh, all of the tips for the food trucks, and then we'll also be taking donations for uh, really uh, local elementary schools uh, for what we're doing, uh, a program I think the school calls a Backpack Buddies. Um, and long story short, what we're doing is we are uh, providing food for kids that don't have food over the weekend. And that means that kids that just, they don't have a, a lot, their, uh, their parents sometimes don't feed them intentionally uh, through discipline or they just don't have the funds or there's um, a uh, substance abuse issue in the home, any one of those things uh, that typically happen. And so we're providing food for them. There's a list of food out in the lobby if you'd like to provide for that. We're just coming to the end of the year. We want to make sure that we stay strong through this, so we're asking you to provide for that. Grab that list out there. Look online uh, on our website as well if you, if you need help with that, or you can just straight donate to that. Um, that would be helpful as well. But we really want to get the word out that July 10th, a community event, it'll be right out in this parking lot right here. Bounce houses for the kids, a band, uh, God willing, as I said. Um, and we're, we're hoping that uh, possibly we'll have some more uh, um, uh, sponsors throughout the city. And so we're excited about that. Uh, secondly, um, Outward Students, a junior high uh, ministry that we have right now, uh, will, have a, having, will be having an outdoor movie at uh, the Bradleys. Uh, Brian Bradley is one of our elders, uh, along with Colin Box, uh, one of the guys who's serving uh, in that ministry, helping to make that happen. We'll be putting this on outdoor movie at, at their at, at Brian's house. And so if you want more information about that, you can go back to Connect Central and find out more about that. We'd love to see you uh, be a part of that. Um, uh, this morning, I, uh, I think it was last week, I'm losing track of my weeks right now, but I uh, had a good friend of mine named Aaron Nabriha here who's planning a church in Charleston, South Carolina, and, and this week, um, I, I will be preaching this week, but a good friend of mine is here, uh, Chris Rich. Chris, would you come forward, and uh, would you grab that mic from my wife? There we go. Awesome. Nice. And... Uh, that's the Chris mic. That's right. <laughs> For all the Chris. So uh, this is Chris Rich. He's here in town for Memorial Day weekend. He's a friend of mine from uh, Snohomish, Washington. Tell us what you do up there and what that looks like. Can I make sure that that's on? Yeah. Can two pastors figure out? Okay, we here we go. go. All right, we go. there we go. Yeah, no, I'm the uh, lead pastor at Damascus Road Church up in Marysville in Snohomish County, uh, a little bit north of Seattle, kind of like you guys are from Portland. So if you know your Bible, is Acts chapter 9. Uh, Saul is on his way to Damascus to kill Christians meets Jesus. It's a new identity and a new mission. So at Damascus Road, we just say that you're saved by Jesus' work, changed by Jesus' grace, and living on Jesus' mission. And so uh, we're about a 10-year-old church, sent out about three church plants the last five years, and I became the lead uh, about two and a half years ago, so kind of a replant. Um, and it's just been really awesome to have the support of Acts 29 as a network. And Matt was on my assessment team, so he let me into the club, which was nice. Uh, and uh, Matt and Chris have been a huge encouragement to me and my wife, Tara. And so uh, he texted me on the way down and said, hey, 
you want to get up on stage? I'm like, well, I'm a pastor, so yeah, I'll get on stage and talk. But if I had known he was going to call me up, I would have worn pants. Um, so kind of kind of not the, usually the way For I For those know. listening to the podcast, he is wearing shorts. I'm wearing shorts, <laughs> yeah. We're going to try to not break commandments here uh, outward. So yeah, no, this is, I think, probably the third or fourth time we've been here in the last 10 years. Been to Outward, uh, first time when you guys were still in the uh, theater, just kind of getting going. That's and right. So it's been really exciting to see what God's done um, through the Porters and through Outward Church here in Salem. And to see all you guys here is just, just a joy. So we're excited to be here and, and to let Matt preach, and so I'll, I'll quit. Yeah, well, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's really kind of cool because you had, uh, is it your sister or sister yeah. in law? Your sister, sister and brother in law who were coming to our college ministry yeah. before we planted the church. And then that's, that was an initial connection. And then you and I happened to run into each other in, was it 2007? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not supposed to say it was in a brewery, but it was in a brewery. So, yeah. yeah. Nice, nice. We're okay. Jesus made wine. That's yeah, fine. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, got, we hung out there, talked, and yeah, then lo yeah. and behold, ended up connecting yeah. all these years later. But um, Pastor school all year has been fantastic. So get Yeah, we've been a, a part so. of a pastor school. And so this is one of my brothers in, in, in Christ and, and one of my fellow uh, pastors. And we have a, an incredible friendship uh, with our, our families and just excited to be a part of um, each other's lives. Yeah. And so just wanted you guys to see who, uh, who we hang out with yeah. uh, when we go to Acts 29 events and, and things of that nature. So let me pray for Chris. Lord God, we, we thank you for Chris and his ministry up in, in Washington and for his family. Lord, we pray for your protection over them. Lord, we pray that you'd bind the enemy and not allow him to take hold or root in his life or in his ministry, in his family. God, we are praying for uh, exponential growth, um, not for his fame or for his glory, but Lord Jesus, for your glory. Lord, uh, that the state of Washington and that the world would understand who you are and mm. hear your gospel uh, because of your work that's going on in Washington. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Love you, brother. Thank you. Yeah. Chris is also a loud talker, so uh, that's, uh, that's, that's always a good thing. Hey, we're going to be in uh, Proverbs chapter 30 again. You can turn there with me. Uh, we're talking about money. And, uh, and so, uh, it, for those of you that are new, we, we will, will not embarrass you uh, or, or anything like that or, or try to guilt you into anything. We're just glad that you're here. Um, I, I want to say this from the very beginning. We will talk about giving uh, because we do believe that it is a matter of discipleship. Uh, but I, I just want you to know, first and foremost, that I am not dependent, the church is not dependent, and... Um, and uh, your salvation is not dependent on whether you give uh, or tithe or anything along those lines. Um, you are saved by grace, uh, and that comes without you having given a cent or anything uh, uh, from your wallet or your bank account. And so there's nothing dependent on that. Uh, what I want to argue for today is uh, to make the case that uh, true generosity is the cure for financial difficulties. True generosity that's motivated by the gospel. True generosity that uh, takes your grip off of your wallet and allows you to say, okay, this is, this is not mine. I'm here to steward this. And so how can I uh, do this well? I want to tell you up front that um, as, as a young man, uh, my finances were, uh, were not great. Um, when I was 18, I, I really had this goal of starting my own business, and so I thought that I was pretty smart and that I had gained a lot of wisdom in construction, and so I started a, a business. 
and, um, and we'll, we'll say a business. And so I went to an accountant, and he set up a, uh, a, a, an S corporation for me, and I didn't know this, the slightest thing about bookkeeping or even balancing a checkbook. And so I started a business, and money would come in, and I would spend it, and then uh, would come to the end of the year, and Uncle Sam, uh, the government, would come and say, you owe us this much, and I would be like, what? What are you talking about? And I uh, had no idea that, that, that I had to actually pay taxes on that. And so uh, years uh, uh, down the road, I had a $10,000 tax debt. In fact, I think when we started the church, I was still paying that off. Um, and it is paid off. I do believe in paying taxes, but um, <laughs> there, was, there, was, there was that. Obviously, I'm not in jail and uh, so forth. So there's, there's that. I, I was a horrible tither. I did not tithe well, if at all, when I was a young man. Did not know how to manage my finances. Uh, no one had ever shown me how to do that. No one had ever explained anything to me about those things. Everything I learned about money, I learned from our world, and uh, I would spend it as quickly as I got it. I also really enjoy meat, and uh, as you may well know, and so I would uh, get money, and then uh, I would immediately go and buy uh, a steak dinner at, you know, your local, you know, roadhouse restaurant, something like that, and so I would spend money so quickly. I was horrible with my finances. I paid my bills late, I was, uh, on every level, I was not good with finances. Praise God, uh, things have gotten so much better. And uh, over the last few years, my wife and I, when we, when we got married, I believe the number was about $17,000 in debt between my debt and what she brought into the marriage. Praise God, she didn't have a school debt at the time, but we had some, some other debt. I think it was about 17000 something like that that we had in debt, and uh, a good portion of that was credit card debt, and we spent a lot of years paying that off, and then got into the Dave Ramsey uh, model, Financial Peace University, we have that here occasionally, and, and really took off and began to pay that off, and we be, became extremely committed to making sure that we're not getting into credit card debt and bad debt situations like that that would, would hurt us. We're still uh, working on, on getting completely out of debt, but that will take even more time. But I just want you to know that up front, that I'm not somebody that has uh, had it all together in the past. I do feel pretty confident about uh, my fan- financial situation. I think that that's a good thing as a pastor that I, that, I, that I do handle my finances well. Obviously, if I can't handle the finances of my home, I cannot handle uh, the finances of the church, but I also do that in conjunction with, with uh, quite a few other people who help oversee that. So wanted to say that from the very beginning. Uh, Proverbs chapter 30, last week, what I talked about was this guy, Agur, and really what happened was this, is that I, I was going to speak on finances uh, last week, and really the first part of chapter 30 really kind of got me because of this guy named Agur, when the only thing that we know about him is that he is the son of Jacob, and, uh, but really it's, it's pretty interesting because he says in verse 
uh, 1, he says, The man declares, I am weary, O God, I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. And so here's a guy who's actually writing scripture, and he said, I, and he, he's saying, I am so stupid, I'm not even a man in the truest sense, because I don't have understanding. And so he is kind of saying this to God, and he's, he just, he's just uh, asking him, and he's just saying, I cannot seem to find understanding. And what he comes down to is, is he says this. He says, every word of God proves true. Where am I going to get wisdom? Where am I going to get understanding? He says, every word of God proves true. He's saying true wisdom, true understanding comes from God, it doesn't come from me. It doesn't come from, uh, you know, the internet or TV or, what ha- or friends or neighbors or, or coworkers, but it comes from God. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Now, this is what he says next, and this is really what I had intended to get to. He says, two things I ask you, two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me. Now, what you need to understand is this, is that this is the only prayer recorded in Proverbs. It's the only prayer. It's pretty important. It's the only prayer that is, is echoed by a writer uh, within the book of Proverbs. And he says, two things I ask of you, deny them uh, not to me before I die. He says, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Now, uh, what Agur gets really uh, correct, what he does understand, and look at the contrast here. Here's this guy, he says, I don't have understanding, and yet here he is, and he's really understanding something. He's understanding himself so much so that he's saying, I need God to speak into my life. I need God to speak into my finances. I need God to hold me accountable because if I have too little money, then I'm tempted to steal. And if I have too much money, then I'm tempted to say, God who? What? I I don't know who he is. And isn't that the way that it goes? So many times when we have financial difficulty, we... reach out to God and we say, God, please help. I mean, we're in desperation through the economic uh, recession over the last uh, several years. Uh, Many people who have been down in the dumps and have not had much money, but many people have come to church to seek out God. Our giving at the church actually went up as we went through a recession. There was a year over year that we were up 30% um, during that time. So while the recession is, is nosediving, uh, the church is doing well, and I believe it's because of this, because people come to the point where they say, I have forgotten God because I had too much money, and I walked away from him, and now I need him. And the thing that they do oftentimes is that they end up giving, and it's for a very good reason. It's for a very good reason. But Agur uh, understands three things that I want to go through today, and I'm going to go rather quickly because it is Memorial Day weekend. I want to get you in and out of here to enjoy uh, the horrible weather. So, here we, uh, yeah, what is up with this? Yesterday was supposed to be a bad day. Today was supposed to be a good day. Today stinks. Yesterday was awesome. So, 
Uh, but praise God, nonetheless, right? That's what I'm supposed to say. Okay. Uh, what does he say? Okay, there's three things that he, that he recognizes. One, money comes from God and is a blessing from God. And I'll get in, into that more. Two, that we can sinfully allow money to control us. Whether you know it or not, money controls you. Money controls me. And there's a way to use that to your advantage. Number three, that money should be used to glorify God rather than profane the name of God. So three things. One, money comes from God. Two, uh, money can control us. We can sinfully allow money to control us. And three, that money should be used to glorify God. Okay? So uh, number one, money comes from God. Proverbs 10, 22. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. What you need to see with that is this, is that... God is the one who can bless you and bring wealth into your life. God is the one who does this. Whether you're a Christian or not, God is blessing you through your life by allowing you to work. God is the one who makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. So when God is the one who makes you rich, he makes you rich in all of the right ways and accordingly to the level that you should be blessed according to your need, according to what, uh, to what your abilities are. He is the one who blesses. But then secondly, and he adds no sorrow with it. And what are we talking about? We're talking about sorrow in that when you get money, oftentimes sorrow comes. When you get money, oftentimes sorrow comes. You have more things to worry about. You have more things to take care of. You have more bills to pay. You have more things to, to fuss over. I was watching NBC one time, and a secular commentator says the vast majority of lot lottery winners have destroyed their lives. Money came to them. It did not come through God. It just came through a windfall. And as a result, sorrow comes. Mo uh, families are destroyed. Every time somebody who's very rich, Prince, when he died uh, recently, his family is now fighting over his finances. Sorrow comes with those kinds of riches. But when God blesses, when God is the one who brings riches, and, and, and think about this, money not being an evil thing, but a blessing from God. Sometimes money can be used for evil, but money, wealth, riches ultimately come from God, and he adds no sorrow with it. Secondly, look at this. How does God provide for us? Through creation. Genesis 2, verse 8 through 12. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man he had formed. Skip to verse 10. A river flowed out of Eden to, to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedellium and onyx stone are there. Now, listen to that. God creates the garden. He creates the garden. He creates the earth with gold, with precious stones in there. The very foundation of our economy for many, many years was gold. <clears throat> so God is the one. He's the originator of all of these things. He is the one who brings blessing. God is the creator of those things. How else does God provide for us? He provides for us through hard work. Remember when we were talking about work, uh, in, again, in the book of, of Proverbs just a few weeks ago, we talked about how work is not a product 
of the fall, meaning like before, uh, before the fall, like Adam and Eve were just kind of sipping Mai Tais by the pool, enjoying the sun. No, God, as a blessing to humanity, as a blessing to man, gave man and woman work to do, to name the animals, to take care of the garden, to keep things under control, and so forth. So work is actually a blessing from God. It is the goodness of God being expressed to us. Many of us can attest to that fact. This is something that I return to on a regular basis. Uh, my wife was saying the, the other day that I work with my mind and I rest with my hands. I, 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 enjoy, I enjoy working with my mind, which means a lot of reading and studying for sermons, but I rest with my hands because I love to work with my hands. I love to build things. I love to make things work. I, you know, I, uh, a friend of, of mine here from the church had a broken down old Traeger barbecue. It always comes back to barbecue for me, okay, just so you know. And so, uh, but he, he, he gave me this barbecue. It was all rusted and everything. And I just got into this project, and I was just like, I love this. I tore the thing apart. I went and got it sandblasted, came back. I painted it. I got it all nice. And I am cooking a brisket on it today, which Chris uh, will enjoy, and so, and his family. But I, I love to work. I love to make things new. Work is a blessing from God. God provides these things. However, Proverbs 10, verses 4 through 5, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Stop there for a second. A slack hand causes poverty. Now, we are talking about the, uh, the unrighteous poor. And by this, uh, what I mean is this, is that people who are, who are able to work but are unwilling to work, and in that sense, they are unrighteous, and they are people who, ref who are refusing to work. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't have grace on people like this, but it does mean this, that the reason why poverty has come to this person is because they're refusing to work. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. And here's the thing. Too often, man looks at his work and says, look at all that I've created. And yet what he's not seeing is that, but God is the one who created even the act of work. God is the one who created money. God is the one who created the earth. And so God is the one who is responsible for your success. However, if you choose not to work and to use God's means, then ultimately what you're going to find is you are going to be poor. Now, there is certainly poverty as a result of injustice, and that is something that we fight on a regular basis. Hence, our work at Richmond and in other places. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Look at, look at these other verses. Proverbs 12, 11. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. I, I, I think of, of this on, on a regular basis. I think of people who are saying, I've got this business venture that I'm going after. And I, I realize that my wife is having to bear the brunt of supporting our family, but someday this is going to pan out, and at some point this is going to work for, for me. And yet they're putting off, they're not making any money, they're not helping at least to support the home, and they just keep going on, and the date keeps getting pushed out, and sometimes it's outlandish, and sometimes it's just flat-out laziness. It's flat-out laziness. He's refusing to support his family The scriptures say that's worse than an unbeliever. And so what needs to happen is somebody needs to uh, pick up the plow, begin to work, begin to work his land, and he will have plenty of dough, if you know what I'm talking about. He's going to have plenty of bread. 
but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Let me just tell you this. Like, if you have a business venture, if you have something that you're looking to, you have something that you're really looking forward to uh, creating, it's some outlandish idea. Do that while you're still working somewhere else. Find a job, find gainful employment so that you can make money because this is God's means of supporting you. Don't just say, well, you know, God will provide one way or another. No, God has provided through his money and through his creation of work, and that is a great way for you to do that. Another thing that happens oftentimes in uh, church circles, in the ministry, is people who claim to say that they are uh, folks who are uh, working in the ministry, and, and yet they're refusing to do any kind of labor or anything to support themselves. And what people in ministry need to understand is that ministry, being a ministry, takes hard work. Ministry takes hard work. I could go through a lot of different things. Um, I, I don't want to make myself the hero of a story, but I, I want you to know that we work hard here at the church. And there are times when we are cleaning toilets, and there are times when we are uh, building walls, like literal walls, not a wall with Mexico, but, um, but a literal wall. And there are times when we are up late, and there are times when we get phone calls at midnight. It is hard work. It is hard work. We work hard for the money that God has provided in order to support this church. So people in ministry should also be hard workers. Uh, Proverbs 20, verse 4, the sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. Proverbs 21, 5, the plans of the diligent surely lead to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Great Proverbs there. Uh, good words. I was just thinking, just as a side note here, um, that there are so many things that I've picked up from Proverbs. As I, I began to read one proverb per day of the month, because there's 31 Proverbs, and there's oftentimes 30 days in a month, and so you read the proverb that goes along with that day. And what it would do is it, it brought in wisdom into my life. Uh, stupid things that I was doing and continued to do began to, uh, I would do that stupid thing, and I would say, hey, there's a proverb that speaks to this, and it, and it helped me. It helped me. This is the wisdom from God, so I want to encourage you to continue to do that. What's another way that God uh, provides? He provides through investments. Investments are not an evil thing. They're actually a good thing from God. Matthew chapter 5 uh, talks about the parable of the talents, where uh, Jesus tells a story where this guy is given this many talents and this guy is given that many. And the guy who takes his talent, takes his money, and buries it and says, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to invest it. I'm just going to hang on to it. He's the guy who sent away uh, and uh, did the wrong thing. The guys who invested their talents were people who... Uh, the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. So Proverbs 24, verse 7, prepare, uh, no, 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 uh, Proverbs 13, 11, there we go. Uh, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. So wealth gained hastily, uh, windfall profits, uh, making a bunch of money off something, a tax return or something like that, it's very easy for that money to dwindle because it comes in, it's not a part of your regular budget, and it'll just go that quickly. 
Lottery winners destroy their lives, as I said. People who get free things oftentimes uh, destroy their lives. One of the things that you can watch out for, if you make uh, a good amount of money and you have lots of wealth, one of the things that you can watch out for is not set your kids up for failure by giving them finances that they have not earned in some way, shape, or form. A good way of doing that is to say, I'm going to uh, give you a dollar for every dollar that you save. Or like uh, one of our elders um, is doing with somebody, and, and, and he is saying, I'm going to give you one dollar for every two that you make. It's a way for a child to receive money and do that uh, in a way that, that they're having to work for it. And so that is a, a great way to do that. But you, you need to gather little by little. You need to understand that your finances should not be uh, taken in a way like, I just want all this immediately right here and right now. You will be poor. Our nation is a nation of people who have chosen to do the, the quick thing right now. They've gotten to the end of their life, many baby boomers, not all of them, uh, and, but many baby boomers uh, did not have a retirement, lost it all, and what ended up happening is that now they are destitute or they're having to work well into and beyond retirement age. And so, Proverbs eleven fifteen: whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer harm, but he who hates striking hands in pledge is secure. We're talking about through good investments. God's wisdom comes to us through good investments. But when you don't use wisdom, when you're making investments, uh, you are going to have a problem. Through good investments. It's not through striking hands and pledge, co-signing for someone else that you barely know, or even for somebody that you know oftentimes, can be very detrimental to you. Getting in business with someone that you don't know, who is uh, not good with their finances, doesn't do things well in those ways. Striking hands and pledge with someone will surely suffer harm. But the person who hates striking hands and pledge, who doesn't do a deal with someone that they don't know, doesn't take a stock tip from somebody in Nigeria uh, and decide to invest in something. I was in a bank the other day talking to an investor, and I jokingly said to him, hey, my brother told me there's this great investment opportunity in Nigeria, and so I'm going to take this money, and I'm going to... And uh, he laughed, uh, thankfully. So uh, <laughs> probably one of the dumbest things I've said. I need more wisdom. That's why we're in Proverbs. Okay. Uh, so uh, Proverbs 27, verse 23, great verse. Verses here says this, Know well the condition of your flocks, and give attention to your herds. For riches do not last forever, and does a crown endure to all generations? When the grass is gone, and the new growth appears, and the vegetation of the mountains is gathered, the lambs will provide your clothing, and the goats the price of a field. There will be enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your household, and maintenance for your girls. And what is this saying? It's from a father to a son, and he's, he's saying this. You need to know and understand your investments. You need to know what's going on with your life. And some of you are like, I mean, is this some kind of investing school? No, this is God's wisdom. This is God's wisdom. Here's something that I want you to understand about this, that God is not just a religious entity, but God is over all things. He is sovereign over all things. He's the one that has created the rules of life. And what he's saying is he's saying this. From a father to a son, he's saying, know your investments. Look them in the face. Look your flock in the face. Look at your animals to see how they're doing. Look at your investments. Watch them. Care for them. 
Because of this, for riches do not last forever, and does, uh, and does a crown endure to all generations? Here's what we know. Riches do not last forever. You may not always have that level of income. You may be making a fantastic income. You've got a great house. You've got a great car. Things are taken care of. You're in the right schools. Uh, you're in the right neighborhood. All of those things. But those things do not last forever. And if all you ever do is you take your paycheck and it goes directly into everything that you have and nothing goes into savings and nothing goes into investments and you're not, you're not putting money away and having contingency plans in, in place. You're setting yourself up for fa failure because riches do not last forever, period. You should know this and know it well. The economic downturn caught many people by surprise. They thought this, that this would last forever. Many people uh, believe that we're getting close to another economic downturn. As house, house prices go up and up and up, and then pretty soon something's going to fall, and then it's going to crash and crash and crash and crash. Don't always count on the economy doing super well. You need to be somebody who understands that riches don't last forever, that a kingdom doesn't last to all generations. And so what you need to know is that this is like, what do I need to do? How do I need to plan so that I have something in the bank? I have other investments that I could even sell. Look at how great this is. When the grass is gone and the new growth appears and the vegetation of the mountains is gathered, the lambs will provide your clothing. What he's talking about is he's saying the grass is going to continue to grow. The grass will continue to be there. New growth will come up. And when you have taken care of your flocks, when you've taken care of your investments, when you've taken care of those things, what's going to happen is this, is that you'll be able to tap into those investments for clothing, uh, and for, for property, the goats, the price of a field. There'll be enough goat's milk for your food. You'll be able to feed yourself from these animals, from these investments, and you'll be able to take care of other people as well who work for you. That's number one. Number two is this, that we can sinfully allow money to control us. This is what Agur understands. Number one, that God's in control, and he's the one that has provided money. He's pro provided uh, work. He's provided investments. Number two, we can sinfully allow money to control us. How does this take place? It takes place through debt through consuming before producing. Look at Proverbs 24, verse 27. Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field, and after that, build your house. What that is saying is this, is that many people say, you know what, I'm going to work on my comfort first, and then I'll work on my income. And the way that we do that is we do that through credit cards. We do that through buying a house at the highest limit of what we can afford, becoming house poor. We're paying so much for this house that we can't seem to afford anything else. We can't afford to be generous. We can't afford to do fun things with the kids, and we're constantly under stress because we've bought too much. What this is saying is this. He's saying, prepare your work outside. Get everything else done outside. Make sure that you have the right amount of income and then when you get that established, then you can go build your house. Then you can go create comfort. But consuming before producing will always create problems. 
And I want to tell you that I believe that it's sin. It may, be, it may be foolishness. It may be being simple. But ultimately, it's sin because of this. It creates stress in your life. God's going to use that stress to train you. God has done that for me when I've gotten into financial trouble before. But we need to not overextend ourselves. We need to produce before we consume. This is God's wisdom. Here's another way that we can sinfully allow money to control us. Proverbs 21, verse 17. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. If you love pleasure, you love lounging around. You love taking it easy. You just, you love to relax. Relaxation is good, but work is a gift from God. Maybe what you need is you need to find work that is fulfilling to you. Or maybe you just need to get to work whether you feel fulfilled or not. Because that's God's plan for your life. Maybe you're somebody who's just so negative about work and that needs to change. It's just sin because you're not seeing it as a blessing from God. You're just a negative person about your work. He who loves pleasure will not be rich. Now look at what the scriptures are saying. Is, that, is this, is that riches, wealth is a good thing. Having money is not a bad thing. Again, it's from God. And you can blame everyone else. You can say, well, it's my upbringing. It's the way I was raised. It's, it's this financial situation. It's that financial situation. But ultimately, many times, not all the time, but many times it comes down to loving pleasure more than you love working in the way that God would have you work. Another way is through greed. Proverbs 15, 27. Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household. He who hates bribes will live. If you're greedy for unjust gain, if, if, if you're so greedy, and this is why Agur says, uh, keep me far from falsehood and lying. And then he goes into finances, like one of the biggest reasons why we lie or why we bring about falsehood in our lives is because we have greed going on in us for, for unjust gain. I want something Beyond what God has given, I believe that God owes me more than what he's given me. Or I don't even believe in God. I just believe everything belongs to me, and I should just have it no matter what. You're going to trouble your own household. And then finally is this, number three, that money should be used to glorify God rather than profane the name of God. Let me tell you a couple things. Uh, the way that we profane the name of God is by not paying our bills. The way that we uh, profane the name of God is by not paying the people that we owe. By not paying the things uh, that, that, have been, that have already been given to us. We profane the name of God when we say that money is, money is my God. I will serve it more than I will serve the true and living God, if at all. We profane the name of God when we allow money to take hold as our God. So how do we release this grip on our lives? How do we release this? Proverbs eleven twenty four through 26. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Now what's this talking about? 
Well, first of all, look at this first verse, verse 24. The one who gives, uh, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. What's it saying? It's saying, it's saying the original language is say, one who scatters. Gives a picture of one scattering seeds. One who scatters. It's giving lavishly. It's giving generously. One gives generously, yet grows all the richer. See, generosity is the cure for greed. Generosity with our finances is the cure for the idea that all of this belongs to me and none of this belongs to God. Generosity is the cure. It's scattering freely. It's scattering what God has given us because it's all His. He's the one that gave it to us. We should honor Him with that. We should glorify Him with that. He says another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. When you're greedy with your finances, and by greedy I mean this, like you have spent everything that you have, you have the largest home that you can afford, you've got cars that are not really great investments. That's one thing I want to caution you on real quick, is that many, many of us sometimes we say, you know what, I want a new car, I've got this new job. And what happens, I've seen so many families wreck their lives because they go out and they buy a brand new car, but immediately after they drive it off the lot, it uh, loses its value. And then they fall on hard times and they can't sell that car because they owe way more than what it's worth and they don't have that money in the bank. It's not a good investment. It's consuming before producing. But the way out of that is to say, I am going to be somebody who not withholds what I should give, but I want to have funds to be generous with, so that means I need to keep my expenses down. And what that means is this, is that when things go sideways, I have funds not only to help myself, but to help other people. So he says, whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. And what I'm saying is this, is that God's world works according to these things most of the time. That these are probabilities that God, that God is communicating to us. And what he's communicating is, is this, is that when you're somebody who's generous, when you have generosity in your blood and it's flowing through your veins and you're exercising that, what's going to take place is this, is that life is going to go better for you because of this. You will have killed the dark monster of greed in your life. You might say, I'm not greedy. I just haven't started giving yet. You know what? Every single one of us has a heart-level greed. Every single one of us has a heart-level sin from the fall that says what's mine is mine, and I want yours too. And if you don't believe this, you just need to take a look around at our world. You need to take a look around and see what's going on. Every single one of us is the same. Every single one of us is the same. The way out of this is through generosity. Verse 26 there from chapter 11, the people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. What's that saying there? It's saying, it's saying this, your generosity should even get into your business, your work. In those days, grain would have been a, a serious commodity like gas today or oil today. How, what do they do when they want to drive the price up? They withhold oil. The oil producers, who, by the way, is God, but they, the, the oil suckers, uh, <laughs> uh, 
are, are the ones, they withhold oil. They withhold oil, and what does that do? There's less oil, uh, higher demand, so oil prices go up. What do they do when they want to put American oil business out, out of business? They produce more oil. They flood the market with oil so that American oil businesses cannot make money. That's greed. That's motivated by greed. I'm not here railing against OPEC, if you even know what that is, or whatever, but um, getting into the weeds here. But um, I, I, what, what I'm saying is this, is that in your business, you can be somebody who uh, holds things back in order to drive the price up. You can be somebody who is so concerned about your money and your finances that you do whatever it takes to make that money at the expense of other people, even at the expense of someone else having a paycheck and being able to support themselves. That is a serious problem. So the way out of this is through generosity. So what does generosity look like? And we'll wrap up with this short section of Scripture here. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 8 through 9. There's, there are five things that are communicated in 2 Corinthians uh, 8 and 9. And let me just list them out here very quickly. The Scriptures say that you should be somebody who is uh, uh, sacrificial with your money, that you give uh, proportionally, that you give willingly, that you give generously, and that you give cheerfully. Now, why is this important? Why is it important to give? Well, because of this. As long as your money is yours, you will always be somebody who struggles with greed. You will always be somebody who struggles with greed. Remember what I said at the top of the sermon. The church does not need your money. The church is not dependent on your funds. I am not dependent on your funds. Your salvation is not dependent on your funds. But I want to tell you this. Giving leads to growth. And growth leads to giving. You've been a Christian for a while. And you haven't grown. Kind of stagnant in your life. You're just a church attender. You're just somebody who's, who is just kind of making it through life, putting in your time, hearing sermons, listening to podcasts, listening to worship music. All of that is fine and good. Jesus says this, uh, that you should learn to grow in all of these areas. You should learn to give in, yes, tithing, but also it, through full discipleship. But many of you are not growing as disciples because you've never taken the step of actually giving. Give somewhere else if you think this is about me. I don't care because God is the one that I'm dependent on, not on you. I'll just say that. But what it says here is this, is that the way forward out of greed is, is that you would become someone who is generous. And that generosity as a Christian starts point A, the very first step really, into discipleship, one of the first things that's going to enable you to grow is to understand that my money is controlling my life. My money is causing me to go this place or to that place. And so what Paul says in 2 Corinthians is this. He says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And what is he saying? He's saying this. He's saying, if you see the gospel, if you see the generosity of God, if you see what he's done for you, then you can be somebody who's generous 
with your funds. But if you don't see the generosity of God through the gospel, then you're not going to have this heart-level generosity that's going on in your life. You're going to overbuy things. You're going to buy things that you can't afford. You will not be able to serve your neighbors. You will peace, pierce yourself with many troubles, it says, because you've not been content with what you have. And the way towards contentment and the way towards generosity is through releasing your funds and saying, okay, God, I see that you are the one that's provided. And by giving this to you, my wife said this to me last night. She said, you should use this phrase, uh, do it scared. That giving does not happen without a little bit of fear. But it's godly fear that says this, God, I'm dependent upon you that you're going to provide for me. I'm dependent upon you that you're going to be the one that provides even though I don't even feel like I have this. And the, and the way to do that is to start with your budget and to say, here's our budget and off the top we're going to take this so that God's not getting my sloppy seconds and that at the end of the month saying, oh, God, guess what? You lucked out. Good thing for you. I've got a little bit extra. Throw a five in the plate. You betcha. God's like, thanks. Cool. Very cool. You gave me the last that you had. I want the first. I want the first fruits of your life because of the gospel. Sacrificially was the first one. Second one, proportionally. 8 verse 12 for if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. This is not a TV preacher moment. This is not any of those things. What you don't have, you cannot give. Don't give on credit. Please do not do that. Uh, you should try to give sacrificially as best you can. If you have too many bills, you already owe those people those funds. And you should pay your bills, but you should try to give something at some point. Work towards generosity with this. Give proportionally. Give willingly. Verse 5, chapter 9, verse 5 of 2 Corinthians. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Do it willingly. Don't feel forced into it. Don't feel guilted into it. Don't let anybody guilt you into giving. Give because you desire to glorify God. Give because you desire contentment in your life and that that comes truly through God. Number four, generously, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 through 7. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. I didn't use bountifully because I thought that was awkward, so we'll use generous. Give generously so that you can receive generously. Somehow God has a way of bringing blessing back on us. I'm not promising you something, but God is saying here that like, when you sow in generosity, when you plant stuff in generosity, when you scatter seed generously, somehow, in some way, God's br God brings his wealth back to you. I've told this story many times. Chris and I began tithing. And then we started the church, and what happened was this. We were tithing, and 
didn't really have that money, a guy who owned a small cattle farm came and gave us a half a cow. We didn't really know how we were going to eat, but I had steak. <laughs> Hence my addiction to steak, right? I mean, this is, God made this. Like, tell me how that works. A lady came and brought us bags and bags of like name brand clothes from Nordstrom for the kids and for my wife. God, like, we, we sowed as generously as we could and God gave back. I'm not telling you that God's going to give you a cow. You may not even want a cow, right? All right? I, I think you're crazy and sinful, but, uh, but God has a way of doing this. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? You trust God by, by, by giving to him. And I can't say this enough. Like, I, I just, like, if you haven't tithed yet, like, I want you to try it. And just so you can, like, be free of guilt, like, give it somewhere else. Like, go give it to the mission. Or go, or go give it somewhere else. Just, just so we know that this isn't about me. This isn't about this church. But, like, write that check so it hurts. You know what that hurt is? That takes your heart and goes, God, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. Oh, this is going to hurt. Don't bounce the check, by the way, all right? That's, it's always awkward. You gave to the church. I'm so sorry. This, yeah. Generously. Last thing, cheerfully. Everyone, at uh, 9 verse 7. Everyone, chapter 2, verse 9 through, 9 through 7. I miss them. Okay, I split those two up. Okay. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Did, did Jesus go to the cross begrudgingly? He did not. He went willingly. Was he cheerful as in like giddy? <laughs> no, he was sweating blood. He was under so much stress when he went to the cross. And he went to the cross and he was sad, but he's also glad. Because in that transaction of him giving himself, he gets you. He glorifies the Father through saving sinners like you and like me. And he does it cheerfully. You cannot grow as a Christian consistently without having faith with your wallet. You cannot continue to manage your finances well as a Christian without being somebody who regularly gives in a generous way. Okay? I just... I just want to be clear about that. I want to encourage you in that. It's what I am doing with my finances. In fact, I'm looking more towards more generosity in my life. I think I've gotten more comfortable, if I'm completely honest, with writing that check. I don't even write the check. It's done electronically. I don't see it, so I don't feel the pain anymore. I think I need more of that in my life. I'll just tell you the honest truth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask 
for generous givers. I understand their propensity to sin. And we ask that you would use uh, your word to change hearts. God, I'm praying for wisdom and financial decisions so that we can give. I'm praying for grace and mercy to flood over those who may feel some type of guilt right now. God, I pray that they would, that they would have a sense of whatever you're convicting them of, but Lord, that they would have a greater sense of your grace and mercy, that where sin increased, grace increased all the more, Romans 5.20. So Lord Jesus, we pray that we'd experience your grace, and Lord, out of that flood of emotions that you've forgiven us, that you went to the cross for us, that Lord, that we would look into that deeply. It's in your name that we pray, amen.